Hello, uh, virtual world. Uh, welcome to Data Endures May Tech Talk. Uh, I am Kirsten Burke, and I am joined by Shaheen Peruse, Data Endures Chief Technology Officer and Chief Security Officer. Hi, everyone. Uh, glad to have you with us and hope that uh, at this time you are safe and healthy and well. Um, we are talking today what uh, a lot of folks are talking about right now is just um, all of the different events that are going on in our world and specifically because of the business that we're in, um, what the security implications are. Um, came across a very interesting article about a week ago, uh, was in Forbes, and uh, it was written by the um, author of the Risk Hedge Report, so someone who watches stocks and watches businesses. And um, the title of it almost looked like clickbait. Uh, it was an article that said, why the largest cyber attack in history could happen within six months. And while um, we've seen a lot of, of headlines like that, that, that are out there and create maybe fear or uncertainty, um, when you take a look at the fundamentals, um, what is going on out there and what has happened um, in our world, there really are some very strong implications um, with all of our companies and schools having to move so many people home at such a rapid clip. Uh, there are a lot of implications. And so we thought that we'd kind of, um, you know, pick apart uh, just the fundamentals of this article and, and really have a conversation to highlight a little bit about what has gone on and um, what leaders right now can do to try to shore up their defenses. So, Shaheen, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, the interesting thing about the article was that I'm getting a little echo. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. Um, the interesting thing about the article was that it was coming from the perspective of a hedge fund, um, and he was positioning this as there's going to be a huge impact as a result of the coronavirus, and you should start investing in uh, cyber stock which is an interesting perspective, um, but a lot of what he used as foundations for describing why there will be a huge attack are real fundamentals that everybody should be considering. Um, one of uh, uh, our CRO's favorite part of the article was that he compared uh, a somebody breaking into a mansion versus breaking into a bunker. And the concept there was that if you are, if you have two buildings to pick that you're going to break into, and those two buildings, one of them is a mansion in Beverly Hills, and the other one is a bunker with a single entry and protected and it's underground, um, you're more likely going to pick the mansion in Beverly Hills because there's a ton of windows, there's lots of entries, you can easily get in, and you can probably, you you have an idea that you're going to get something out of it. So it's more showy, it's more available. There's more points of entry. On the other side. Uh, the uh, the bunker, there's a single point of entry, and therefore it's a lot easier to control and protect. And, uh, and that is the world we used to live in prior to Corona, where we had most of our people living in offices, and we controlled the network, we controlled what they had access to, we controlled, we had many security controls like firewalls, uh, uh, DNS security, endpoint security that was protecting us within the four walls and safety of our bunker. And now all of a sudden we've had all of our employees burst out into their home offices and massively increased the attack surface. So that massive increase of attack surface is really causing a big challenge and really exposing 
what used to be our bunker into now the same concept as a mansion with a lot of windows where these hackers have the ability to come in through multiple different points of entry using the endpoints and our employees' uh, home offices, if you will, which aren't as secure. So really the, the concepts around what made this article interesting are really important for us to take into account. And if you're an investor, it is probably a good time to invest in cyber stock. Um, there's a, he gave a couple of examples. This article was on May 14th, and the author's name is um, uh, Stephen McBride. I, I highly recommend reading it if you're an investor. He talked about the huge spike in uh, cybersecurity ETF when uh, when the uh, Facebook attack happened. Another huge surge in Fortinet and Palo Alto stocks right after the healthcare hack, and then another huge surge in CrowdStrike and Zscaler after the Iranian attack. So um, his his uh, his fundamental reasons for doing the article were talking about what are good investments to make. But what we should take away from the article is that the reason his fundamentals are good is because they're accurate and the world is in a position of risk right now, um, mostly because we've increased the number of attack vectors that hackers could come into. So I guess as we talk about investments to make, right, um, as we talk to our audience about the investments perhaps that they want might want to think about making an investment, maybe just being in, in time to research something and time to maybe perform some kind of a health check, a time, uh, an investment in terms of what they might want to shore up. You know, uh, we know one thing that uh, cyber attackers do not waste any opportunity. And we have seen out there, you know, from, from any number of research bodies, right? You've got um, Cypherma, who have seen phishing attacks um, related to coronavirus uh, increasing over 600% just between February and March. Um, there's another organization out there who tracks healthcare. They have seen breaches uh, just over the February to March timeframe increase over 60%. So, so uh, the adversaries are hard at work. And, you know, with this attack surface that has exploded and with virtual defenses down, um, they're going to try to find any angle they can to get in. So if we think about, you know, take away the stock investment and think about, you know, investing in securing um, their posture, what, what are some of the things that uh, leaders should be thinking about right now? Yeah, the, um, the, the most important thing is uh, uh, we've been saying for years that the the edge has been pushed out to a point where we've we've effectively taken a completely controlled edge that we managed with the controls we talked about earlier and moved it out into a distributed edge where now the edge of our network is wherever that endpoint is. And that endpoint today is sitting in our employees' homes. Uh, but even prior to this, we still had a highly distributed edge where our employees were in the field at customer sites, they were at uh, Starbucks, there are any number of places where they're working, working off of Wi-Fi that who knows if it's secure or not. So this concept of a distributed edge has gotten even more severe uh, and the attack surface has increased because now everybody, not just a 20% or 25% of our population is sitting in their home offices and working with a uh, significantly reduced security posture than what they used to have when they worked in the office. So 
the the answer to what do we do hasn't really changed. We have this concept of modern defense in depth that we take to market with everything that we do, and it's something that everybody should take to heart. Um, uh, I call it the four factor. The fourth factor is really the four layers of security, um, focusing on the endpoint and then wrapping it up on uh, on the network. You have to be able to prevent the attack from ever touching the end user. And usually the point of entry, significant amount of uh, inbound attack vectors that are coming into your users are coming through a phishing attempt. So the very first layer of defense is a phishing defense. Stop the phishing emails from getting to them at all. Not just phishing education and phishing awareness, but actually actionable AI-based, <laughs> prevention of those emails from getting to the user. The next level is once that the, it, the hackers are smart and they're gonna bypass these layers of security. So each layer I'm gonna give you is assuming that something filters through that layer of security. So once you get past that filter of phishing defense, the very next thing that's gonna happen is that the user is going to click on a link in the email and that link will connect to a known bad ransomware site or a Trojan site and download something that will impact your security, uh, whether it's at just that endpoint or it extends out into your network. So the next layer of defense is DNS defense. To be able to block their access to known bad sites before they ever get there. And so phishing first, DNS second. The next layer of defense, if they get past the DNS filters that uh, have identified what are known bad sites is to prevent the attack from taking hold on that endpoint. Meaning that if they do click and if they do get through and they do download something that is malicious and is installing a rat or uh, is installing a command and control tool, to be able to prevent that from taking hold, block it, the execution of that malware. That is your endpoint security. So endpoint security is your third tier of defense. If you bypass all of that and you get down to um, it's it's now installed, it's now on the network, and it's now the hacker now has a command and control station within your environment, whether that be through your VPN connection or that be because your people are inside the office or that be that you have a lot of SaaS applications this particular user has access to, the outcome is still the same. The hacker now has a place where they can start investigating gaining access to credentials. So they're start, they're gonna start farming credentials. They're gonna try to understand what level of access this individual has, where they have access to, and then they will start walking through your com company's assets, your digital assets, and figuring out where the crown jewels are. So the next level of defense is, now that behavior has changed for this user and they're doing things that they historically have not done, you need to be able to identify behavioral changes on your network that this user has never connected to these three endpoints or servers or whatever historically, but now all of a sudden they are. So is that is that okay or is that problematic? And so the last layer of defense is the traditional uh, security operations center. Um, RSOC as a service is one I highly recommend, but uh, I'm biased there. Um, the uh, But really have, have somebody who is uh, stationed in the guard tower. If you think of the SIM as your guard tower, you need to have a SOC, uh, which is the guards in that guard tower monitoring the walls, monitoring the environment, making sure that 
they're seeing what's happening after all the other layers of defense have failed. Right. Well, and and you know when you when you talk about all these different layers, right? Um, organizations are investing a lot of money and a lot of tools to um, to put those layers together. Uh, the the downside of that is they've got a lot of tools that don't necessarily plug in or go together to uh, help defend themselves. And so um, where do those alerts go? Uh, where are any gaps if they have them? There's a whole bunch of noise that all of these tools create. So even though um, your strategy is sound in terms of the layers, you're creating a lot of work for somebody or, or multiple somebodies to try to make sure they stay on top of it and they can find that needle in the haystack if something's going on. So um, when you talk about a SOC, um, maybe explain a little bit how that ties everything together and really how all of these tools um, may give you a false sense of security if you're not monitoring and managing those tools well. Yeah, there's, um, there's a huge risk in uh, understanding what I call controls validation, understanding whether your security controls are actually doing what you set them up to do and what you expect them to be doing. So are they behaving the way you design them and expect them to behave? Um, a lot of times we'll deploy really cool technologies and a lot of technologies and spend a ton of money on buying the best in breed technologies to protect our network, to monitor our network, to understand what's going on. But it, the biggest challenge to any um, security practice is configuration drift. And configuration drift happens by simple steps in uh, getting a user access to something they need access to. Uh, let's say, for example, the VP of sales is trying to launch a new service, and as a result, he needs um, a third party to be able to do some things to launch that new service, and your IT team enables that third party to do what they need to do. That's now a vector into your network that you didn't have any visibility into or control into. Um, let's say now that there's another um, department or division that has a new application they've deployed, but that application needs to have a external application talk to it, so a hole is put into the firewall to support that. And as you can see, slowly um, the dial is turned a little bit to the left by one engineer, a little bit to the right by the other engineer, and these constant tweaks and changes that are happening in your environment are configuration drift. The configuration is straying from that hardened, beautiful, secure platform you put together to protect your network, and there is nobody who is inspecting that configuration drift. So we often say a SIM alone um, is pointless. Um, if you bought a SIM to mark a checkbox on an audit, then, then you're good. You mark the checkbox, but you're not secure. Um, if you staff people behind a SIM, it's still not sufficient because sims typically are designed to collect log data log data is history it's something that's already happened versus something that is happening so with our sock offering we go way above and beyond what you do with a standard sim we do network traffic analysis we do user and entity behavioral analysis we are doing packet capture and flow data captures and pulling all that data in and correlating it we are pulling in vulnerability assessments and, and uh, uh, managing management capability and taking that data, the vulnerability data, 
and correlating that against the threats that are inside your network and the traffic and the behavior that's happening. Um, all of those factors have to come together to give you a true security monitoring posture. But above and beyond that, coming back to the security controls validation, if you're not doing purple team activity inside your network on a regular basis, you will never notice that configuration drift unless somebody is every day comparing the configurations from the past to the current and identifying what was changed and assessing what the impact of that change is. And that's a very complicated task. So with our SOC, we also do red team, blue team activity inside a customer's network every month so that we call it security controls validation so that we can in fact determine was there any configuration drift that broke the very pristine security posture you put together? Uh, and, and oftentimes there are surprises that come up that they end up discovering, oh, we didn't realize that somebody poked a hole in the firewall. We didn't know that we, you, you can get out to this command and control site. We didn't know somebody turned off the filtering at the edge. There's right. so many things that can easily twe be tweaked and um, sec our security controls validation gives recommendations for remediation as well. Uh, and then uh, tying that back to what um, Kirsten was saying up front, what's, what's somebody to do, one of our really easy steps, onboarding steps into uh, what we do and how we do it and giving you quick visibility is we offer a complimentary security health check, which effectively comes in and gives you a mini uh, demo or trial of our SOC and the security controls validation and the vulnerability assessment, all of these pieces and parts, uh, and gives you a sample of what's there to give you a sense of what's the state of my environment in a quick glance. Well, that sounds, if we go back to even the, the beginning of the conversation where we said, okay, massive movement of people, workloads, devices, uh, broadly um, expanded attack surface. So if we think about that configuration drift you were talking about, this is a perfect storm. So, um, you know, I guess what we would like to put out there for anyone viewing or anyone, a friend of a friend, um, as Shaheen mentioned, um, we are offering a complimentary security health check for organizations right now. Um, you know, as you take a look at what's going on in the world and think, what can we do to help? Um, this is absolutely something that we can do to help, uh, to give you insight and information that you may not have that um, can help you secure and safeguard uh, your data, your information. Um, we know that you're very busy doing a lot of other things and really trying to manage your business through, um, you know, through this time. And so we absolutely want to come alongside organizations and help them where we can. So Shaheen, as we wrap up, uh, any other uh, insights before we, before we leave for the month? Um, no, I would say that uh, uh, the key thing is a lot of uh, the, the third level of defense I talked about, which is your endpoint. Um, a lot of people feel comfortable in the endpoint defense they have, and usually it's uh, file-based uh, endpoint security, which means uh, like a traditional, more traditional antivirus solution, which is based on signatures and definitions. Uh, and the problem with those types of security platforms is that they only are looking at files that come down and they don't look at the behaviors um, that a, a piece of malware uh, is, is performing, if you will. Uh, and 
a lot of malware today does not download malicious files. It downloads things that look good. Um, and if you look at, uh, we, we recently just uh, posted an article. Um, you can find it on our blog or on our LinkedIn um, uh, that's about the uh, Ragnar Locker um, attack, which is the, uh, the malware itself is being hidden in a VM on the machine which none of your security controls will monitor. And all of the behavior of this particular malware looks like it's doing legitimate work on your network. So it's, it's very hard to identify. Um, and uh, fortunately, um, the, uh, the team that is using it today uh, is really mostly focused on targeted attacks as opposed to blanket attacks. Uh, but it's only a matter of time before other right. people start to adopt this type of attack. Right. The, um, being able to implement behavioral-based uh, monitoring at your network and at your endpoint is a critical success factor for stopping things like this. Yeah, for sure. Well, and one thing we know is, you know, as soon as we catch up, uh, they're going to go two steps ahead of us. So. Um, you know, the best we can do is, is to your point, have um, the strongest monitoring uh, that we can so that uh, even if and when someone breaks through a defense, because we know they can, um, that we're able to get on top of that as, as quickly as we can to, to remediate and, and action that. Yeah, we, we, have, uh, we have a saying that it's all about time uh, here at Data Endure. And right now the time is in general for most companies the time is on the hacker side on the adversary side on average it takes about 200 days before an attack is identified within a customer's environment and uh, we take that time down to minutes or hours and getting that time back to our customers is our entire mission so putting time back on your side or giving good the advantages i've heard said before is is really the uh, the goal of what we try to accomplish, and that's the to Kirsten's point. The monitoring is all about identifying things early, so that you can prevent the adversary from being able to collect enough information and intelligence right. to cause problems. Well, um, that's it for today. Um, we thank all of you for joining us, Team. Thank you as always. And for any of you who want to take advantage of the security health check, um, you can go on our website and uh, just uh, fill out a contact form there. Or feel free to give Shaheen, um, I'll give out your email address and you can let him know and we'll target you or send you to the correct place. Uh, is it Shaheen or Esperuz? Shaheen. Shaheen, S-H-A-H-I-N at dataendure.com. So we hope to hear from you. 